Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. All right, we are here tonight. We are back at the book of Deuteronomy. And you know, I love, love this season of, this, of the year. I love when we're here at Christmas time and we sing songs that we know so well. Isn't it nice to hear those songs again that come up every Christmas? I know the radio station's got them going on. Well, tonight I want to talk about this. I want to talk about God's gift to his people. Now I know what you're thinking. Just a minute, Pastor. You said we were in Deuteronomy. We're not talking about the Christmas story. Jesus wasn't born in the book of Deuteronomy. No, he would. But God shows how he gives good things to his people by what he did for the people of Israel. Just a foreshadowing of what he did for us in Jesus Christ. So tonight, as we're coming up on Christmas, God's gift to his people. Deuteronomy 6, one of the most important chapters in the whole book of Deuteronomy. If you never, ever look back on Deuteronomy, you need to know chapter 6. As your turn to Deuteronomy 6, that's the Old Testament. Anyhow, Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. To hear with intelligence, to hear with the intention of following out. Remember? That's what we've been talking about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one God. Now, this has been called the creed of the Jews. This prayer that we find in Deuteronomy 6 is repeated by a faithful Jew every morning when he rises up and every night when he goes to bed. You're going to see why this is so critical to the understanding of the Jewish people of who they are in Yahweh God. So, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 is where we begin tonight. And then we think about God's gift to his people. I want us to think about this. Our preparation. Our preparation for the gift. As y'all know, Christmas time, everyone goes out and they go shopping and they buy a tree and they buy ornaments and they bake cakes and they bake cookies and they bake pies and they send them to their friends and loved ones. That's our preparation for Christmas Day. We want to make sure that by Christmas Day, all of our family has all that wonderful, yummy, cooked food that has had the calories prayed out of it on, on their table, and all those sweaters that are the wrong color and the wrong size, they have it on a little hanger and say, see what I got. We want all those things out there and prepared and ready to go. Listen to what it says tonight. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, which Yahweh your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Here it is. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. 
You shall love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Man, right there. This says to the people of Israel, this is how you are to live. This is how you prepare yourself to receive this great gift that I'm going to give you. We know what the gift is. The gift is the promised land. They have come to those doors and Moses is going to go back over the entire law of God to impress upon them how important it is to be prepared. What preparation have you done for Christmas? I don't mean gifts. I don't mean trees. I don't mean eggnog. Especially some of the eggnogs some of y'all make. That stuff could light a house on fire. <laughs> Here's the thing. What have you done to prepare your heart, your soul, your inner being to receive Christmas? What have you done in terms of the spiritual preparation? Okay, we have all the physical decorations. We have Christmas music playing on the radio. We've already sung the Messiah. What have we done to get me, myself, and I, and my wife, and my family ready to truly receive the meaning, the reason for the season? That's the question. Take a look at this. Our preparation is this. Deuteronomy 6.3 Hear therefore Israel and be careful to do all those statutes, all those things that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh the God of your fathers has promised you in underline this in your Bible a land flowing with milk and honey. Now you wise guys are going to ask wait a minute there wasn't any honey and milk flowing in the promised land? Wasn't it kind of a desert? Let's not be ridiculous. We know what he's talking about. A land flowing with milk and honey represented the two most important things in life. Nutrition. Milk was better than water, amen? I mean, if you have water, that's great. But if you have water every day, it's terrible. Milk is what? It's protein. It's what you need to live. It's what you need to survive. And milk is a great food source. In fact, milk is not a drink. Milk is a food. It can sustain you for long periods of time. Why honey? Honey is a natural sugar. It's a natural food. To say that this land flowed with milk and honey was to say this land had the best of everything that you will ever possibly need. It didn't just stop at two items. It went to everything. Remember back in the days when the spies went in and they surveyed the land and they brought out the fruit? Were there scrawny little bitty grapes? Were there small melons? Were there itsy bitsy teeny tiny little fruits? They brought back big honking stocks of all these different fruits and things and vegetables. And they said, this land has everything. It can grow everything. It's an amazing, amazing land. Israel then was not what Israel today is. This was a beautiful, beautiful land. This was an amazing place. Did you look at that? A land flow of milk and honey. Is your life a life flowing with milk and honey? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should say yes. Because what do we need for life? We need the Spirit of God, we need the power of God, and we need the Word of God. If you are a believer, can you possibly lack any of those three things? No, you can't. Because when you were saved, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, you were filled by the Holy Spirit, you were gifted by the Holy Spirit, you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are unctioned by the Holy Spirit. There is no part of your life as a believer that is not touched by the presence of the living God who indwells you. Amen? 
That's what amazes me. At Christmas time, more than any other time, why does it seem that people are most miserable? We celebrate the abundance of God's blessings. You know, we spend money that we don't have to buy gifts we don't need for people we don't like that they're going to put in the closet and forget about. But why do we do that? The whole point originally was to celebrate how blessed we are and to pass that blessing along, share that blessing with other people, with those who are around us. That's what it was for. Hear therefore Israel and be careful to do these things because God is giving you a great land. So we have to prepare ourselves to receive the blessings of God. Amen. I've told you before, the reason why you don't have all that stuff that you think you should have is because you ain't ready for it. You are not ready to deal with the abundant wealth that God can pour out. Remember the psalmist prayer? Lord, grant two things. One, that I never become so rich that I become arrogant and forget you. Two, that I never get so broke that I steal and disgrace you. Between being rich and being broke is a wonderful, happy place that I like to call middle-class America. That's right. We live in the happy zone. We are not so rich we can get arrogant and tell God we don't need him. And we ain't so broke, we got to go out and steal bread. At least I hope we ain't that broke. If you're that broke, let me know. I'll buy you some bread. Okay, that's just how that goes. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land of God's provision. As a believer, no matter what you face, you have God's full provision. But you have to be prepared to submit yourself to the will of a holy God, which says, you know what? I'm going to give you the promised land, brother. It's going to be your land, but you better fight for it. You better pick up your sword, pick up your shield, get your behind across the river, and do some fighting. You already got the land. It's going to be yours, but you've got to fight for it. You want a life that is right with God? You want a life that is full of peace and grace and mercy? You better fight for it. You better get up in the morning, grab that coffee to wake up your brain, crack open the Word of God, and start your day the right way. Ah, but we're going to get there in a minute. I know what you're thinking. Hey, I just read those verses. Yes, I did. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says this, You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We all know those verses, don't we? Great verses. Do you know what they mean? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? We all know that your heart is not the cardiovascular organ in the center of your chest. That is not your heart. That's a pump. When these people in the Hebrew mindset said your heart, they meant your whole inner being. The whole inner being of you, everything that is your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, your passions, your desires, all of that is your heart. Because man follows his heart. If your heart is after God, then that's what you're going to follow. You're going to follow God. So you must love God with everything that was, is within you. All that you have, all those dreams, all those plans, all those hopes have to be channeled into a passion for God. Ah, but it's also this. You should love him with all your soul. What's a soul? You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't weigh it. You know what the word soul really is? All y'all that don't know this one, crack open your Bible sometime. Look up that word. Go to your e-sword and punch it up. You know what's going to tell you soul is? The breath of life. Your soul is what separates you from a dog or a cat or a gerbil. You ever met people that just remind you of gerbils? I mean, they're like beady little eyes and their nose is always twitching and you're pretty sure they're driven by a love for cheese. That's gerbil people. This says you have something in you that is different than a gerbil. And it's the breath of life. The holy breath of life that gives you a soul, which animals ain't got. I'm sorry, I love Sonny. But Sonny ain't got a soul. He just, he don't got a soul. I just broke Roland's heart. I'm sorry. Cats don't got souls. Neither do dogs. Hey, I have fish. Fish 
don't got no souls and they ain't going to heaven. So man, when my, when my pepper fish goes down, see ya buddy. He's gone. That's how it goes. We love God with our entire inner being, all that we are. And we love him with that breath of life. The greatest gift he's given us to begin the journey is life and the ability to know him. He reveals himself in that inner man, in that inner breath of life that separates us from the dogs and the cats and the fish. Then it says, with all your might. Now all you ex-military guys, you know what might is, don't you? It's this great big muscle right here, right? No, it ain't. This is not might. This is muscle. You see, muscle you lose when you get old. All that big chest you had sinks into your lower section and you have another kind of muscle. Okay, this, this is not might. The word might means literally vehemence, passion. Do you live your life vehemently, passionately, powerfully? You must love God with your entire inner being, thoughts, hopes, dreams, desires. With the very breath of life that is within you, you return your love for God. And then with every ounce of passion and desire that you have for living, you give all of that to God and he demands nothing less. He wants your whole package, your whole being. That's what he sent them into the land to know. Now we skipped over verse 4. It says, Here is the Lord our God. The Lord is one. God is, I'm going to teach you a word tonight. And it's a word I want you to use throughout the coming year. God is sovereign. You know what that means? He don't share power. He don't share glory. He doesn't provide for any other way to please him save the ones he put down in the Ten Commandments and did through Jesus Christ. God is alone. There is no pantheon. Greeks and the Romans and the Hindus and all of the other pagan religions had multiple, multiple gods. When you went to battle, you prayed to Mars or you prayed to Thor or you prayed to whichever god of violence there was. When you went hunting, you prayed to Diana, the goddess of the hunt. Or, or when you went sailing, you would pray to Poseidon because he was the god of the oceans. And every time you moved from one country to another, from land to sea and mountains, you had to change gods. It was very confusing back in the day. And God never meant us to be confused. That's why we have one God. Yahweh is the God of the air. He's the God of the land. He's the God of the sea. God is God, period. Over all things, over all life. And that's what he's saying. When you go into this land, there's all these pagan people. There's all these jacked up individuals who have messed up ideas of who I am. Don't you dare listen to their confusion. Because they don't know what they're talking about. I have shown myself to you on the mountain, in flame, in thunder, in my words, which resonated in your ears. You have seen me. Don't get confused. At Christmas time, there's a lot of stuff going on. Let's not get confused. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the presents. It's not about, I hate to say this, it's not about the Messiah, the song. It's about the Messiah, the person. The music is wonderful because it shows us who the Messiah was. That's the blessing. But let's not stop at the music. Let's not stop at the choir. Let's move past the choir right on to the one about whom it was written. That's the blessing. That's that power. Let's keep going with this. Look at verse 6. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Aha. Now we know what it means to have something on our minds, don't we? To have something that you can't stop thinking about. Something that preoccupies your thoughts. Sometimes you go to the doctor and he tells you you got a cyst or you got a boil or you got a spot in your lung or you got something wrong with this or you got some blood coming out there or you need a pacemaker over there. And that gets on your mind. That preoccupies your thoughts. 
This says the words of God should be on our heart. Hmm, what's he talking about? Let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about Psalm 119, 11 through 16. Psalm 119, 11 through 16 says this, I have stored up your words in my heart, in my inmost being, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. How does God teach us? Through his word. This is in verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Ooh, God's testimonies, the words about his greatness, are as important as money. Don't try saying that. Most churches, they won't believe you. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your words. That's what it means to have God on your heart. Because when you wake up in the morning, there's that scripture flowing and living and breathing in you. When you sit down, when you watch the news, when you read a paper, your worldview, how you see creation, how you see America, how you see history should be tainted, covered, shaped, and molded by who God is and how he's revealed himself. Sound like I'm talking about an obsession? You betcha. God does not want us to see him once a week or twice a week and think about him once a day. God wants us to be obsessed with him, his glory, his person, who he is and what he's doing. God is to be our only obsession, the only thing that we put so much of our time and effort into. Now look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. This means with all of your might, with all of your physical prowess, with all of your skills. Whatever skills you have, if you're an artist, you can paint to the glory of God. If you're a singer like Ed Yonder, you can sing to God's glory. If you're a loud mouth like me, you can preach God's glory. But everybody has a way which they can diligently use to teach the statutes of God. Teach them diligently to who? Your children. And talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What is this saying to us? Break it all down, people. It says, you begin the day with God. His precepts, his words. You dwell with God's word in your home. You might dwell with your wife and dwell with your children, but you better be dwelling with the word of the Lord also. Ah, when you travel to work or to the store or out to play, you travel with the word of God. It goes with you. You don't leave God in church. Many people believe, I go to church to visit God, and when I leave, he stays there. Remember when you were a kid? You were certain that pastors lived in the church. Real people have homes. Now, outside, when I was a kid, didn't you think teachers lived in the school? I saw a teacher once in a supermarket and I almost had a stroke. What are you doing out here, Miss So-and-so? You you're supposed to be in the school. You're a teacher. I'm a person. I have a life. We forget that sometimes. And when you go outside of your house, you better be taking Jesus with you. God's precepts, God's standards with you. And at the end of the day, when you lie down, you take God into those sleeping hours with you. Begin it. Dwell with it. Walk with it and come to the end of the day with who God is, what God has taught, and who God's glory is. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? Ta-da! It is. This is not humanly possible. God ain't human. Neither is the Holy Spirit. With God, all things are possible, even to walk every moment of the day in an awareness of who God is and what he's doing. Why do you think he says to pray continually? Pray, be in conversation, be in relationship with me all of the day, all of the time. Not just that five minutes in the morning that we talked about a couple weeks ago. 
This is a life-altering preparation for a unique experience with God. Keep going. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And he says earlier, you shall bind them on your hands and on your foreheads. You've all seen Hasidic Jews. The little phylacteries, the little boxes, have the scripture in it. And they attach it to their head and they'll tie it to their head and they'll bind it there so that the word of God is close to their what? To their brain. Then they'll put one on their hand and they'll loop it 13 times around and tie it off. So the word of God is in their hand. What is their hand? Their actions. Their thinking and their actions are all bound, tied to the will and the word of God. That's why the good Jew in the front of his house, to this day, if a Jew has a house made, there's a hollow put in the very front of his house by the front door. And in that hollow is probably Deuteronomy 6, one through wherever he chooses to stop. And he'll put over that a brass plaque. And the brass plaque will show you that it's a Jewish house. And in the morning, before he goes out the door, he will kiss the word of God that it might stay on his lips. And when he comes home, he kisses the word of God and prays that he's returned home safely to his house. That's how we should be. We should depart our houses in the morning with a prayer of thanks to God. Lord, thank you for seeing me through the night. Thank you for my wife and my daughter. I told you, I pray in the morning when I walk out my door at five, whatever the insane hours I get out of there. And I say, God, keep them safe. Keep them safe until they wake up. Keep them safe as my daughter goes to school. And I will pray for them during the day as I think about it. And when I go home at night, God, thank you, my house didn't burn down. I mean, I'm literally grateful that I have a place to go sleep. We take it all for granted. But God says, don't take my preparation for you for granted. I have done all this for your sake. Be grateful. Be aware of what's going on. He says, dedicate all of your ways to me. But let's press on. Deuteronomy 6, 10 and 11. So we talked about our preparation, yeah? Now we talk about this. His provision. His provision. And when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. I love this part. And houses full of good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Take a look at this. His provision. Verse 10. And when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that he swore. Remember? He promised Abraham. Everywhere you put your foot, your people are going to own it. You won't live to see it. You won't possess it. You won't go in. But they're going to go there. And it's going to be done. That's why Joseph did not want his bones buried in Egypt. Though he died long, 400 years, before they ever got out of that dump. He said, don't leave me here. In fact, they found the tomb of Joseph. They found a small pyramid-type tomb dedicated to a, a high official in the Egyptian government back in the days of Pharaoh. The only thing funny about it, there was a statue of a man in that little pyramid. And they all thought it was weird because he had the wrong color skin. He had an olive, olive green type of skin, not a pasty red uh, Egyptian complexion. They said this man was obviously not Egyptian. This man was a foreigner to the people of, of, of Egypt. And they believed very, very fully that this is Joseph's tomb. They looked inside and there's no body. Now, grave diggers will steal gold and jewels and precious gems. They don't steal bodies. Even the Egyptians in those days weren't that whacked out. Why wasn't Joseph's body there? Because the word of God says they took him out of the land of captivity and they carried him into the land of rest. 
where his bones would be with his people. When Yahweh your God brings you into that land that he promised you, he promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, with great and good cities that you did not build. Now here, think about this. The land of Canaan was already settled. It wasn't a barren wasteland. It wasn't a place where they had to go in and start all over again. You ever look back at your life, people, and figure out how much stuff came to you by the grace of God? How much stuff that you really didn't have to work every bit for? And even if you did, where did you get the strength to work? Where did you get the brains? Where did you get the breaks? Where did you get the help from? Nobody got this far in life without help from somebody. Okay? And that somebody is God. God put that job there. God put that promotion there. God put that woman in your life. God gave you those children. God did this for you, preparing for you what you didn't deserve. They didn't deserve to go into Canaan and have everything given to them. I love that. Great and good cities that you did not build. And he goes on down in 11. He says this. The house is full of good things that you did not. You didn't fill these houses up. You didn't work and fill and provide all of these houses with all their accommodations. Cisterns that you did not dig. Cisterns were deep. Huge vessels to hold water. Underground. Massive. Massive. They didn't work to build them. They didn't dig for days or even weeks to build these things and then to patch the walls and to seal them up. It was done for them. God put a people there, not his people, he put a people there who prepared the land for the inhabitation of the people of Israel. The 400 years they were in slavery, God was already preparing for their entrance into that land as he said he would. I know that the rest of my life is set. I don't have to worry about what happens because God has already provided for 2011, 2012, 13 until the day of the rapture or until the day he takes me home. So I'm not worried about it. The U.S. government can fall apart. We can all go commie tomorrow. No matter what happens, I don't have to sweat it. My father already runs the show. And everything that's supposed to happen to me is going to happen to me. And he's going to take me through it. Cisterns you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Remember, all that provision, all that abundance was waiting for them to go in and take it. No years of cultivation to get it done. It says, now when you eat and are full, he's about to give them a warning. But what does that warning mean? When you eat and you are full. Does that mean God's going to stop halfway with provision for you? Is he going to give you just barely enough to keep you going? Is he going to give you just, just enough to keep you hanging on? When you eat and are full, when you are satisfied, when you have everything you need, this tells me God is not going to stop till we have everything we need. Not everything you want. You don't get everything you want. That's not how life works. You know, Mick Jagger may have been, you know, morally challenged, but he got it right with one song. You can't always get what you want. But if you pray sometimes, see Jesus, you get what you need. I added those words, it's okay. Anyways, God's provision is absolutely amazing. Let's finish it up tonight. Deuteronomy 6, 12 through 15. I want to talk about this. If we have our preparation of our hearts to match His provision, which He already has ahead of us, then we also have to worry about this. His expectations for our preparation. He has expectations for us. 12 through 15, this is what it says. Then take care. Lest you forget Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is Yahweh your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name, God's name is not Lord. God's name is not God. God's name is Yahweh. That's why I use it so much. Those who call upon the name, God gave himself a name. 
So you shall call upon his name, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For Yahweh your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of Yahweh your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Ooh, now God's getting serious. He's told them what to do when they go in the land. He's told them what's waiting for them in the promised land. And he says, when you're fat, when you're sassy, when you are full, then take care lest you forget. Interesting word, forget. When you go to the store, Bill, your wife says, pick up some chicken. If you come home and say, I forgot the chicken. What does it mean? It means you're old like me and your brain don't work no more. That's what it means I say I forgot. This is not that word. This is not the word of, oh, I was going out to get chicken and I saw a shiny nickel on the sidewalk. I picked that up and I forgot the chicken. No. This is the word to become oblivious. You know what it means to become oblivious? It means to cease to pay attention. How many Christmases have you celebrated, people? 40? 50? 120 for some of you? How many Christmases have we heard the same songs, watched the same Peanuts cartoons, watched the same Holiday Inn and It's a Wonderful Life, and we watched the same Jesus of Nazareth, and we sang the same songs? How many times have we done the same thing every year? And now we've done it so often, we are oblivious to the amazing miracle of Christmas. We think, oh man, it's Christmas again. I gotta go stand in lines. I gotta go buy the old lady a gift that she don't want. She's gonna complain and return it. And then she's gonna buy something that costs 10 times more. And I'm gonna be in debt till next year. I see, you know what I'm talking about. Get the hand up there, yeah. Okay, that's how we see Christmas as debt and misery and, and crowded stores. And I gotta go here and I gotta go there. That ain't Christmas, y'all. That's just traditions. Christmas is God loved us so much that at a very important time in history, a time he predicted, a time he foretold, he allowed the fullness of himself to enter into the womb of a virgin and become what we are, human beings, flesh and blood, fully divine, fully God, fully man. Bad breath, stinky feet, hated the heat, hated the foul water of the promised land, but he lived our life, walked our streets. He laid there in that manger. That little, you ever been in a manger? Hay is not comfortable. It sticks up and pokes you in the back. You ever notice that? Anyways, he went through all of that for us. And it gets lost in all of the Christmas stuff. All of the Christmas things going on. We lose track. We become oblivious. He says this, Take care lest you become oblivious. Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Have we forgotten what we were before Jesus saved us? Have we forgotten the miserable, low-down, backstabbing, foul-mouthed, nasty individuals that some of us were? Some of y'all were born saints. Some of y'all haven't changed in, you know, 100 years. Some of us, God's done a major reclamation job on our lives, amen? Anyways, we were in the house of slavery. The slavery was in our head. The slavery was in our, our heart. And he ransomed us out of that. He bought us out. And I think Christmas is the best time to retell that we were slaves in Egypt. And we were under the whip of our taskmaster, Satan. And he was driving us on the highway to hell. And we had no one until someone came along and took the whip out of the whip master's hand and led us across a Jordan River into a promised land where now we were with God's people and we were safe. That's the story of Christmas. That's the amazing things. Not all the other stuff that we celebrate. Look at verse 14. 
You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Don't be influenced by the world. Don't buy into all the stuff. There is so much out there right now that has nothing to do with Christmas. If we would separate ourselves from that, yes, we can still get together. Yes, we can still drink eggnog. Yes, we can still watch stuff on the boob tube. Yes, we can still have turkey and ham and kimchi and other good stuff, you know, seaweed rolls. We can still do that without losing what God did to reclaim us and redeem us. Just like he brought these slaves out and said, hey, you're going into promise. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you were when I saved you. It's exactly why this is the perfect story for Christmas. And then verse 15. For Yahweh your God in your midst is a jealous God. Jealous meaning possessive, meaning sovereign. He don't share you with nobody. He doesn't want you to have divided affections. Your wife would not stay married to you if you were married to her four days a week and three days a week you went running wild in the streets. She would not stay. Why? Because women want all of you, 100% of you. Okay. God is jealous. He is desirous of our love, of our affection, of our faithfulness. He is possessive of that. He's not going to play with us and let us run around the world and then come back home. Oops, sorry. You know, I smell like the world. I look like the world, but you got to take me back because you love me. He says, lest the anger of Yahweh your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Here's the thing. Who gave you the life you got? God. Who can take it away from you now? God. Who gave you every blessing, every good thing you ever got? God, who can take it out of your life and break you down to the dirt until you realize that what you always needed was him and not all the other stuff he just took away from you. I, I, I've heard stories, I read stories of men who had millions and millions of dollars and in their arrogance, they thought they didn't need God anymore and then God busted them down to a thin dime. And they stayed there for a while until they realized that what they needed was not the jobs and, and the money and the wealth and the success and the famous friends. They needed a good relationship with God. And then once they got that back, they figured out they didn't need all the rest of the junk. Amen? That's what it's all about here at Christmas time. All right. Now what? Now what do we do? Every day I must prepare my heart to know what God would have me to do and not to do. Here at Christmas time, Lord, how can I glorify your name? During Christmas, how can I give you the glory? How can I celebrate my deliverance from captivity by telling the story of what you've done? The Jews tell the story of the Passover again and again so that each generation knows it and lives it and breathes it and remembers it. That's what we should be doing at Christmas. Not all the other junk, just really focusing in on what God did for us. Second, I see and praise him for his wonderful provision and his gifts. Everything I have, I should be grateful for every single day. Lord, I can still draw a breath without an air machine. <laughs> Lord, I can still hear some things. Lord, I can still see uh, most of it. You know, whatever I've got left, I should be grateful for. Because God is a good God. I'm still here, baby. That's what he's got. This is my promised land. This is what I have that God's provided for me. Finally this, I must remain faithful to God. I must remain faithful to Yahweh God as he has revealed himself. And that means if I have to change my life, if I have to change my, uh, my aspirations, if I have to change what I'm doing to come into line with God's teachings, then I do that. I make those changes because he is God. He is worthy of my allegiance. He is more worthy than any other God. Be that God's success, power, uh, respect, whatever other God I'm trying to serve and trying to please, I need to please the one who gave me everything I have. All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here tonight. Hey, 
Hey, thank you for visiting our podcast today. Both Words from the Wildwood and From the Archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to Almighty God in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of God's amazing Word. If what you hear has been a blessing, consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77522. If you are outside the States, God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.